Welcome to Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam, a podcast about navigating adolescence without losing our minds. Each week, I guide you around the teenage landmines with practical tips, simple solutions, and words of encouragement. I'm your host, Dr. Cam. Let's get on with the show. If you are worried or fed up with your teen's digital addiction, this episode is for you. We are all painfully aware of the impact that excessive screen time and constant connectivity has on our teen's mental health, focus, and resiliency. However, we also know that technology is tightly woven into every aspect of our lives and has transformed the way we live, work, learn, and connect. Our job as parents is to find the balance between embracing the benefits of technology and safeguarding our children's mental and emotional well-being. Not an easy line to walk. In this episode, I'm joined by school principal, Dr. Michael Gaskell, to discuss how we can help our teens navigate through the digital noise and reverse its impact on their wellness, focus, and resilience. Dr. Gaskell has written several articles on the topic of digital digital disruption and its effects on students. He has also discussed the importance of supporting teachers in dealing with the disruptions caused by technology and how administrators can help them in this regard. He currently writes a monthly column in ASCD Smart Brief, presents at national conferences, and has published three books, Radical Principles, Leading Schools Through Trauma, and MicroStrategy Magic. Welcome, Dr. Gaskell. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Dr. Kim. Great to be here with you. Absolutely. So please start by sharing a brief backstory. What inspired you to focus on the digital disruption and its effects on students? Yeah, sure. So it actually goes back to the 1970s uh, when we didn't have social media. And I was a struggling student who was evaluated and, and expected not to succeed. I got a very poor evaluation uh, I did not have realistic expectations as literally quoted in this and uh, had aspirations to go on to college and be successful. And they were suggesting otherwise. And so that really motivated me when I discovered this. One day, my daughter was filtering through some things at her grandparents' house and found this big folder that just said Mike. And it was big. And she opened it up and there were some problems in there. And I knew I'd had some challenges in school, but I didn't really understand the detail until I myself became an educator and got to see what some of those things meant, such as uh, impulsivity, uh, social interactions delayed, all kinds of crazy mm. things that I look at now and I think, wow. So it motivated me to say, well, something worked out for me. Otherwise I wouldn't have had the opportunity to help other kids and give back as a principal and as, as an author to families. So uh, I started to look into all that kind of research. And as I did that, I really delved into both long-standing kinds of disruptions and impacts such as trauma mm -hmm. which we just went through a major one called the pandemic yeah uh, just and, just a little impact. yeah and that reinforced some of the digital disruption challenges and then i delved into that because that's the reality kids are dealing with today not only did they just come out of a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic and they're still struggling coming out of that but yeah. they are also delved into uh dig the digital world and that's not necessarily in and of itself a problem or a bad thing. The reality is, is we live in a digital world and we have to learn how to navigate through that and teach kids. And there's lots of great ways that I researched and that I get to share. And so I'm excited to be here to do that today. I am excited to have you here for this too, because it is a very tough 
like I said in the intro, line to walk. Because, you know, as parents were like, well, I survived without technology. Well, of course we did. It didn't exist, right? I mean, I was holding up a tape recorder to a speaker to get my mixtape back then, right? Um, <laughs> setting my time. Um, but we also, so the world has changed a lot. And so just saying don't get on it or restricting it doesn't help the situation because that's how our kids connect and learn and entertain and everything else. But it's scary and it's distracting and it's taking away from our kids' ability to focus. So I'm so thankful you're here to help us figure out how do we embrace technology in a healthy way, but also ensure that our kids are okay and that they're not spending all their time on technology. I'm excited to be, uh, to share loads of ideas. Uh, <laughs> so let's start with like, let's start with one. Let's start with just how do we first, how do we get in the right mindset of what technology is to our kids? Yeah, so I think we have to acknowledge that this is such an embedded part of their lives, their social network. It matters so much to be integrated into their social networks that we could sit here and say, that's bad for you and you shouldn't be online. Uh, but that's sort of like... Uh, when we were kids and you shouldn't watch certain things on TV, well, that just motivated me to do it more oh, with, yeah. my, with my parents. So we're being unrealistic when we're saying to our kids, don't get online, don't get on social media and, and things like that. It's more about steering them in the right direction, giving some of the advice. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, the first thing is with kids is, is awareness. Most kids are going to appreciate that when we take the time to explain to them, like, look, I get it. Social media is part of your life. It's part of my life. I'm on I'm on Facebook and you're on Instagram. That's the difference. Yeah. Uh, but it's important to say, I get that. I'm not dismissing that. However, there are some real dangers online and you should both be aware of that and then use some antidotes. They're really simple, practical things that I share. So one of the quick examples of awareness is an Instagram study that was done a few years ago. And what's really funny about this is Instagram's very quiet about this study. And the reason is, is because it could affect uh, and I want to get into politics here, but, uh, you know, market value and things like that. Mm. But what they wanted to know was if we expose kids to realistic images uh, and then have a control group that just looks at what is always enhanced online and then ask them to tell us how they feel about themselves. And this was focused specifically on girls, but this also applies to bo uh, boys as well. I know that arguably the, the influence is is greater on girls, but certainly boys are affected too. Yeah. So they wanted to know, is there going to be a difference when we show them realistic images? And boy, there was. And mm. here's what happened. The people who were exposed to realistic images had a better uh, feeling about themselves, their self-confidence. They didn't get caught in that. As I like to say, comparison is the thief of joy concept, yeah. which is an old Teddy Roosevelt quote that lives strong today. Comparison is the thief of joy. And when you're looking at someone else and saying, look at how beautiful that person is, I can't measure up. You don't feel good about yourself and your well-being is impacted. And so you can imagine how this especially affects girls. And when you're seeing that and exposed to that, which unfortunately kids constantly are and teenagers constantly are they start to really think of themselves as inferior and it's just, yeah. uh, definitely an impact on their uh, self-esteem so when the instagram study expo exposed kids to both 
and they did a couple of different things. They showed realistic images. And then they also showed, you know, you see this nowadays with famous people. They say, this is me without makeup. Right. That's fantastic that famous people are doing that because what, they may not even realize it. Uh, they may just be doing it for some PR stunt. I don't care. The fact that they're doing it is saying, look, I look just like you without all this money and makeup. So we're yeah. no different. And yeah. it gives kids a chance to start to feel like I'm okay. I'm just one of these other people. So that sounds like a subtle thing, but it's a very powerful thing. So this is one of those awareness pieces. The other thing, I'll tell you another a quick study that was done, an Australian study that was done a few years ago. And what happened was they examined students' social media behavior before, during, and after receiving direct instructional guidance on the consequences of online misconduct. So this is where mm -hmm. we as educators come into play. We can have a role in, in, in a health class or a social media class or whatever that class is somewhere in school that where we can teach in this. And the researchers found that instituting a proactive instructional approach helps students develop significantly longer term reductions in anonymity perceptions and toxic online inhibition. Now, I just said a bunch of stuff. So let yeah, me what does that, that mean? <laughs> I, I just said a bunch <laughs> put of that, stuff. Put that in English for us. Yeah, so there's this thing called the online disinhibition effect. And it's a very fancy term that as soon as I explain it, most of us will get right away. So what happens is, is when people are online, they are perceiving the world in a much more two-dimensional way, not three-dimensional like we really are. And unfortunately, that's actually very bad because what happens is, is we, we don't see a person on the other side of that in, uh, interaction as real, as human. Yeah, he, there's no, hum yeah, it drains the humanity out of the other person. Yep. And this is why you start to see this very toxic behavior online, trolls, some of the negative things that happen that kids and adults get wound up. And you see this a lot with adults in politics, unfortunately. Yeah. It's one of the worst things that can possibly happen. So the reason that's so important to make people aware of this is once they learn about this in an instructional format, they actually can last for not just a moment, not for a few days. These are longer term weeks on end uh, impacts about managing their understanding of online toxic uh, behavior and disinhibition effect. Uh, the other thing I want to mention that's related to this is there was a University of Buffalo study done a few years ago and they actually looked at Facebook uh, and they wanted to know, well, what happens when people are on Facebook and they're getting caught up in these amped up discussions where it's very polarizing and you know, you're wrong and I'm right and here's the evidence why and you're an idiot. And what they were able to show was that people actually become less intelligent when they're engaging in these online disputes. And that may sound insane, but think about it. When you're getting defensive and you're getting in that fight, flight, or freeze mode, you're tapping into primal senses. You're not mm -hmm. tapping into the, the frontal lobe and right. the more cognitive senses. So again, this is an awareness thing. So now that we've gotten some awareness down for kids and adults, it's very important to say, okay, so what are the antidotes? Is there solutions? And there are. And so that's what I'm here to tell you a little bit more about. That's what we want to hear. How do we turn this information into something practical that we can do, especially when it comes to our teens who don't want to listen to us when it has anything to do with technology? Because we know nothing as adults about right. technology, right? So yes. how, give us something practical. How do we get through to our kids with this information? 
So I'm going to give you a, a few, a couple examples. Okay. Actually, I already just gave you one, which was just the awareness, getting them in the door. And sometimes when we have a teacher explain that rather than a, than a parent, kids are going to be much more open-minded, especially if it's a teacher they've connected to. Yeah. Uh, but, but there's a couple other very specific strategies I wanted to make uh, the audience aware of. The first one is simply something called coffee house chatter. So let me talk a little bit about, let me dive into that for a minute. Again, whenever I'm talking to you about something, I'm not just saying, doesn't this sound neat and I'm not going to back it up. There's always research that backs it up that we can share with your audience if they ever need to see that. So there was some research done because if you ever notice when you go by a, a, a coffee house, sometimes you just see people in there working and they just kind of lost themselves in their work. And they're actually in typically a, a state of flow, which is a very high focused, energized state. This is the opposite of all the digital disruption stuff. Mm. So this is fantastic. So what's happening in that coffee house? So let's think about this for a minute. If uh, there's enough background noise that I like to call a distracted focus because it distracts you away from pings and pongs and all that toxic stuff we just talked about, and instead steers you towards a focus, which in fact can happen in a coffee house because it's indistinguishable noise. You hear this background chatter, but you can't really tune into any of it, which is ideal because what it does is it induces these theta waves that get your mind really focused, okay? And I'll talk more about waves in a minute with uh, another uh, strategy. Um, So what happens is, is people are losing themselves into this focus. We've all been there accidentally. You can actually engineer this. So why don't we do this, right? Why don't we do more of this? That's what I always ask. And in classrooms, you can play some coffee house chatter. There's tons of apps, YouTube. You just type in uh, coffee house chatter theta waves and Mm. you hear that wonderful background noise. Now I will point out to you that if you're in a coffee house, theoretically, and someone's behind you and there's a couple breaking up, that's a very distracting thing. I'm yeah. too interested in that. I can't turn right. that off. I need to know what's going to happen next. So you don't want distinguishable noise. You want the typical indistinguishable noise. So there's these apps out there. This is actually using technology to reverse that digital disruption. Mm. And it's a really cool way that kids have shared that have tried this in classrooms that it helps steer them towards a greater deal of focus on the task at hand. So this is great for large group, yeah, work. So there's another one that would be more for like independent work, whether that's at home or they're doing independent projects in school or something. And it's a similar concept, but there is a a significant difference. I'm gonna tell you about this one. This one, so the first one was coffee house chatter. The second one is binaural beats. So a lot of people think maybe they heard something about this or yeah, beats and, you know, I, we all think of beats, like we're listening to music or whatever, but binaural beats is a really fascinating thing that I, I'm still to this day surprised more people don't leverage or, or haven't heard about. So I just keep talking about these things till they do. I was just at the uh, ISTE conference and presented about this in Philadelphia. And I know you're a Pennsylvania girl, so I'm just mentioning yep. that. Um, And people were very interested in in this. They wanted more information. So here's what happens with binaural beats. In this case, you need headphones. You can't do this like the coffeehouse chatter, like a class-wide. That's why I said it's more about independent work. But what happens is is you put your earbuds in either ear and you get two different beats at two different frequencies. Now, the reason that's so significant is because when you have two different beats at two different frequencies, After about five minutes, and there's research on that too, it could be three to seven minutes, five minutes, you start to hear a virtual third beat. 
And the reason that matters so much is that third beat, it sounds like sci-fi, but this is real. Um, that third beat starts to target a part of the brain that that beat's focused on. So of course there's beats for focus, relaxation, anxiety reduction. There's all these different frequencies that binaural beats can target. So there's a lot of skill in that. You can even mm -hmm. get it to help you take a nap. Um, you can get it to get ready for a pre-workout. So the one that we're interested in, of course, for the uh, purpose of this discussion, is we want to help kids get focused. And there is a high focus, which is, I think, uh, high theta, low alpha state. And those are the two different beats. And they're targeting a very specific part of the auditory nerve. And, you know, if you notice, I've mentioned two specific auditory mm -hmm. tricks. Well, they work. So that's why I talk about them. And when I say they work, none of these things are ever a silver bullet. It's the concept of offering a menu of options and then a kid mm -hmm. or an adult takes whatever works best. So um, I think the binaural beats, there was a study that said 80% uh, of the people had an immediate impact. So wow. to me, that, that's 20 out of 25 kids in my class. That's so, a lot. Yeah. Exactly. And the same basic idea with the coffee house chatter. Some people say this doesn't work for me. And okay, then don't use it. Use something else yeah. like breathing exercises. Um, now, this is a, a less of a digital concept, but specifically, I like to talk about something called the 478 method. And the 478 method is, is great. So I'm switching gears again. So bear with mm -hmm. me. Um, it is great because what it's doing is it's not just like we've heard of like box breathing and things like that. Mm -hmm. And those things are great. They calm you down. The reason something like four, seven, eight works so effectively is you're breathing in for four seconds, you're holding for seven and you're releasing for eight seconds. That differential kind of like binaural beats, that differential is doing something very therapeutic. It's massaging mm -hmm. your diaphragm. And that's literally like an inside massage. It's calming you down and getting you focused. So my daughter often uses this right before a competitive cheer uh, event. She finds it very helpful and she may not find something else helpful, but it works for her. So that's yeah. why I say use something like that. Um, Melody, uh, I've mentioned, is, is great. Uh, and, and, you know, so you start to use some of these things and train kids. And then you get to a point where or help train kids where they say, I got this, I can now do this on my own and, and develop some independent skills. Now we've got self-regulation in play and they know, okay, I got a major project that I have to complete tonight. Why don't I put the binaural beats in? Now, the other thing about binaural beats is if you Google binaural beats, um, you should, a lot of people prefer to have like an ocean noise in the background that actually does nothing, but it just makes the sound more soothing. So I do encourage, pick the thing you want. Some people just like yeah. the beat, the straight up beat. And it literally yeah. is like a drum beat. Uh, so just be aware of that. It sounds a little unusual at first. That's why I recommend try, uh, you know, uh, an ocean breeze or, or rain or whatever the thing is that you add to that. And again, these are all on YouTube for free. You can buy an app. I have one, uh, but you can find these. And you know how you have those things that play for like eight hours. These are all like that. Yeah. It goes back to the old classical music thing. When teachers play classical music in the classroom, kids tend to get soothed and calmed. And that's great after like phys ed or launch or something like that. And uh, these are even more strategic and scientific. So I love to bring them up. And I want to kind of tie it back to how this impacts with the digital distraction, because, you know, the kids that I talk to when I ask them, because I think that there's this kind of misconception that it's the phone because of the phone, the kids aren't focusing. But what I keep hearing over and over again is they turn to the phone because they can't focus on what they're 
the homework or the thing they're supposed to be focused on. So it's not the phone that is luring them away. It is the fact that they're turning to it because that's stimulating in their brain. And let's face it, the way our brains getting what our brains are used to is a lot more a lot more information and more speed and more everything else, which is why kids get bored very quickly now because their brains like are used to all the stimulation. And so what you're offering is saying, okay, rather than saying, I'm going to take the phone away so you'll focus, which won't help. Kids will literally watch paint dry other than do their homework because they can't focus. You're saying, let's figure out ways to help them focus so they don't feel the need to go to their phone. Am I, am I correct in that? Absolutely. hundred okay. percent. This is, they're getting a hit every time. And that's why these apps are designed this way. And, you, yeah. and again, when you explain this to kids, they appreciate that understanding. So we're not blaming them. We're saying, no, 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 this is designed to distract you, to disrupt you, to yeah. keep you on that app or to keep you engaged in this discussion. And that's, that's not a healthy thing for you. So when you start to use some of these tools, like I talked about, uh, the other thing that tends to happen is you start to create this perpetual cycle of a reverse thing because what ends up happening is is uh, there's nothing, almost nothing, uh, Cal Newport writes in his book, uh, Deep Work, um, as satisfying as the fulfillment of deep work or something that's that you've really accomplished and had a great sense of accomplishment over. What ends up happening is you get the same kind of rush satisfaction that you do from these apps but you're actually working productively. And then you start to make that connection in your brain. Your brain starts to rewire and you start to think, oh, when I do this, it makes me feel really great about it. And there's a sense of accomplishment. And then you want to keep pushing and pushing. One of the great things about that is, and a good example of this is when we walk. When we walk, and this is another quick strategy. Uh, when we're walking around and just taking a walk, um, what ends up happening is we start having blood rush throughout our body and guess what that goes into our brain too that's exactly yeah. where we want it because now we're starting to pump the senses and get things moving and i don't know if we people have noticed this but when you're walking sometimes you come up with some some of the most creative ideas or, or you recall things that you needed to remember and mm -hmm. that there's no coincidence there that's happening because you're when you move the body you move the mind so it's a very helpful way to, and now I'm not saying in class, like have kids just walk all over the school, but you could certainly get them up and get them moving around and things like that. Absolutely. And we should, we should do more of that. That's why there's some great things about, um, you know, flexible seating out there now. And I call it right size seating because it's, it's gotta be the right seating for you. Your right seating size. will differ from someone else. Again, I always talk about these things as there's no silver bullet. There's a consolidation of things and you can try a variety of these and then find the things that work best for you. So I totally agree with you about that hit that kids get. And there's no, that's a stimulation in the, in the brain. Go get it in a more productive way and get a sense of accomplishment. This is why you see sometimes some of the greatest athletes and uh, talents, scientists, whatever the thing is, but we tend to equate this for kids best to athletes. There's no coincidence that most of the most successful athletes are not necessarily the most physically gifted. In fact, they almost never are. They might have a gift, don't get me wrong, but it's almost never about that that got them to the next level. You think about somebody like Tom Brady, and by the way, I'm not a Patriots or a Tampa Bay fan, uh, but but you gotta give the guy credit. He would, did extraordinary things. 
And you think about other athletes like Simone Biles, who ironically had a, an incident where she needed to take a mental break, but then was able to regain herself, right? So we're all human and this can happen to all of us. I would argue that that's even a great lesson for people that look, this here's another person that's no different than us in terms of our anxiety and how we must overcome it. But Tom Brady and Simone Biles and some of these greats, it's all up here that made the difference. It's not that, yeah, they got themselves physically somewhere, but all of us can, for the most extent, get pretty close to that. And then it's this that shifts it to the next next gear. And I want to point out to you, because I think, you know, we hear this and parents are like, all right, I'm going to force my kids or push my kids to do that. And you, you just said the word, a sense of, a, you said a sense of accomplishment is what really kicks that in. When parents own it and push it and force it, it takes away the sense of accomplishment, which is the award reward for doing something hard. And so now we've removed the reward and we've removed all the motivation for doing it. So I think what I love hearing is this is about stepping back, not pushing or taking away things that we think are distracting them, but going, how does your brain work? And I, it's funny because right. I just did this with a client yesterday. And, and again, my clients, I work with teenagers, they come to me, they're not saying I want mom and dad to make me let me use my phone all the time. They're going, I'm struggling with focusing. And I use my phone because that just feels good on my head. So mm -hmm. they want to focus. So getting Absolutely. angry at them for not focusing is not helping them focus because they want to focus too. So you're saying, listen, we got to just understand the way their brain works and our brain works too, and say, you're struggling focusing. Let's look at how your brain works and let's find ways that will stimulate your brain or make your brain feel, get past these kind of hard, difficult places to get through because it, it hurts their brain. Like mm -hmm. repetition over and over and over again starts to actually hurt the brain, right? Trying to focus on something that just is like boring is very difficult and we don't have that push. And then when we don't have the motivation to do it, because we're not getting that sense of reward or sense of accomplishment from it, we've removed everything to give us the resiliency to push through, right? Yeah, yeah I love it. You said two like really great things. The first thing is, we must empower children to make the decision for themselves. What we have to accept the fact that young teens are at a point in their lives where they are pushing away from mom and dad. That's not a personal thing. That's just an evolutionary thing. Yep. And so the worst thing we can do is say, you must go do your homework right now or whatever. And I'm not saying don't try to get them to do their homework. I'm saying it's the way you go about it. And, and so giving them some of that empowerment and that self-regulation is huge. It makes such a difference. The other thing you you said that was so important is don't put them in what feels like an impossible position because that's only going to escalate the anxiety they're already experiencing by the, the comparisons online and the arguments and everything else that, that goes on. And we're not going to get rid of that. So we have to find an antidote to it. And these are some of the things that can solve, that can treat that. Yeah. I always say the difference is it's not the difference in what we're doing. The difference is, are we facing them and combative or are we sitting beside them, helping them see it, succeed and work forward? And I think that's the way we want to position ourselves. And you said earlier with the teacher, teacher has more impact if they have a connection and that if they have a connection is the key to everything in terms of parents, teachers, everyone whatever we try to tell our kids or push our kids or inform our kids, if we do not have a connection, 
it's going to fall on deaf ears. It just yeah. is. And that's not the kid's fault, right? They're, they don't trust or listen to or believe or feel safe with somebody that they're not connected with. Yeah, it's all about relationships. Relationships are such a significant connector. And it's, I mean, we are uh, evolutionarily designed to be in social networks. They are now digitally in social networks that are uh, that are separate from us, uh, which isn't unusual. And it's actually part of their natural, again, process for growing up. But uh, we certainly have to find ways to to develop that. And I think that schools are good places for it. One of the great tests in, in history was to see how badly online learning did. And I'm going to be very candid with you about this. Um, online learning from the home during the pandemic was no good for almost every kid. I'm not going to say every kid, almost every kid, right. because they lost valuable instructional experiences, but they also lost those natural social interactions that happen in schools. And what I found happened over the past year or so, especially when kids really came back full time, is they had lost a couple of years of critical times where they ran into a conflict when they were younger and were either guided to sort it out or were able to sort it out themselves. And so they came with some considerably emotional immaturity compared to where we sort of expected them to be. So it's so important. And the good news about all this, and again, this is research basis, kids will catch up. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen. The more they're in person, the more they're going to benefit from it. But imagine this, you're on your phone for all those social things, and then you're getting Zoom fatigue from being on Google Meet or whatever the uh, learning experience was. I mean, there's also this thing called blue light, which is a significant part of, we get uh, kids and, and adults get way too much. You and I are, are exposed to blue light right now. Yeah. And blue light in and of itself, again, is not a problem. It's the fact that we're overexposed to it. And blue light, what it does is it creates a situation where our brains, because it, it has this light shining on our eyes, that makes us think that we should be up longer. And that's what creates some of the sleep issues for kids. So yeah. you can get a simple blue light blocker like I have on this phone. You can't even see it. We all get screen protectors now. So why not have uh, a screen protector on it that uh, is blue light blocking? So now 80% of my time that I'm looking at my phone, uh, that I'm looking at technology is probably on my phone. And I'm not getting that extra exposure to blue light, which makes it difficult to settle in and fall asleep at night because of serotonin levels and all kinds of geeky science stuff I don't want to bore you with. Um, but the same thing with, with computers and everything. So it's important to try to reduce that. And there's simple strategies for that. Like I got like it built I, into my glasses. The blue light glasses are great. Yeah. Uh, I, have, I have the same. And so uh, not only when I go outside, do they tint, I have that natural trend because I can't wear sunglasses. If I have two pairs of anything, I lose things immediately. <laughs> right. So these things become transitional. Everything. Yeah. And then they also block the blue light. So mm-hmm. these are some of the scientific things that are simple solutions that we can and should be doing more to help support our children. Yeah. Uh, these are great. So before we go, what is one thing that you want to make sure parents walk away with from this episode? So I think they could just start to share some of these resources with their kids and say, look, I know you don't believe me, but <laughs> listen to this guy. Yeah. He spent, you know, he's a, a, you know, a practice educator, but importantly also did the research. I know that these things, 
again, no silver bullet, but that if you start applying some of these things, you're going to find your matches and that you can, and you can find comfort in it. And again, don't put those demands on kids. Like you can only be on your phone one hour a day. I'm not saying don't try to help them restrict it. I'm saying if you start to dictate to them, they're going to, they've already fought back. I'm sure you're going to say, oh, oh yeah. And you're going to get into these exhausting arguments. And then they're even more anxious than they were from just being on the phone and everything else yeah. that we just spent the last half hour talking about. So I think it's so important for us as adults, both as, and I'm a parent, I have two daughters and I'm a school leader that I say to them, look, as a parent, this, I'm not perfect, but this is what I know. And this is what I share with them, which is you have these tools. My daughter's using the four, seven, eight method. Mm. I caught her reading my book the other day and I, I wanted to cry. <laughs> You know, and, and she said, oh, you know, it's not a big deal, Dad. And I said, I, I know, yeah, I got to want to push it. But go ahead, open up to page 39. That's, <laughs> that's some good tool. Right. So, um, but those are some of the things that I would say is, is make them feel empowered about it. Make them feel like we're not saying get rid of this. We're saying we have solutions to navigate around some of the things that create issues when you're on that. Right. I love that. So how can people find you? Best way is Gaskell M. Gaskell. That's my Twitter handle. That's my best way. You can either That's message perfect. me personally or you can uh, follow me or anything. And, yeah, and I'll follow true. you right back. I love it. I notice a lot of educators are on Twitter. Yeah. And I'll tell you, uh, there's this new one called Threads on, on Facebook. So I'm taking Yeah, I that saw one. that. Yeah. Okay. You know, I, wherever I find educators and parents, I'm going to, you know, in terms of social media, I'm going to, I'm going to go there. Because yeah. I'm not married to one. I'm not politically aligned to one. I just want to find a home where we can all connect. I love that. And that is so important for educators and parents to be connected because we're all going for the same thing is helping our kids. Absolutely. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining. I'm really grateful for you, Dr. Gaskell. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. And thank you, parents, for taking time out of your busy day to spend with us. I appreciate you, too. If you want more information on how to best support your teens, check out my 10 top tips for raising teens at AskDrCam.com slash parenting tips. Until next time, stay curious. Remember, there's always more to the story than what you see. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today on Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam. Make sure to visit my website, www.askdrcam.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show again. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, and hey, why not share it with a friend too? Be sure to tune in to my next episode. And remember, parenting teens may not be easy, but with my help, it can be a whole lot easier than this.